Welcome back in to Overtime here on 106.7 The Fan. Leader of the Youngest in Charge movement, Toby Altizer, hanging out with you guys up until 10 o'clock. Coming up at 8, we got Pro Football Hall of Fame safety Leroy Butler joining the show to talk about Aaron Rodgers, talk about what you want in a DB coming out of the draft, talk about the combine, all that coming up at 8 o'clock, Pro Football Hall of Fame safety Leroy Butler. Up until then, we're going to talk some Major League Baseball, Sam Howell comes up in a little bit. What are your thoughts on these new rules? You can give us a call on the MGM National Harbor listener line, 800-636-1067, if you want to join us there. So the one thing that I think out of all these things that I like is that some of what we grew up with, with baseball, is going to be back in order. And what do I mean by that? And this might be the smallest thing that I could be happy about, but this is what I'm happy about. When you grew up playing baseball, what was like the epitome of a good hit? A hard hit ball up the middle, right? Like that's what you grew up with, where if you hit the ball hard and you hit it right up the middle and it went right over the bag, three hopper, whatever the case may be, like you just drove the ball up the middle, hit it hard, that was considered a success. And for so long with the shift, it that wasn't rewarded. You really did have to be able to go the other way. And look, I think that this is definitely going to benefit some of these left-handed, hard-hitting players that are they're not going to have three dudes over there waiting to scoop the ball up on the right side of the infield where you got like a rover from slow-pitch softball and you got the other regular second baseman over there. Like it, It's going to be easier to get hits for them. But I think for so many, you'd have... You'd be watching a broadcast, and someone would hit the ball hard, and they'd go right past the pitcher, and you'd think, oh, sweet, base hit. And then they'd cut to the action, and the shortstop picks it up and throws them out. And there's still going to be a little bit of that because you're still able to shift a little bit. There's still got to be two guys on each side of the bag, but you can still shift a little bit. But for so long, that was... For me, other than hitting home runs and the big bops, like, okay, obviously those are the perennial, those are the pinnacle of what you want right there. But a hard hit ball up the middle should be rewarded, in my opinion. And now you're going to have that. Now we get to the biggest change, the pitch clock. And I'm sorry, I'm just not a fan. You heard from Kyle Glazer. If you missed him earlier, you can use that rewind feature or catch it later on a podcast when Caitlin puts that up. But... I'm just not a fan. Writers are going to generally be fans, I think. People that work for the team, people that cover the team are generally going to be fans. And let me give you a little insight into why. Because their jobs just got a little bit shorter. They cut half an hour off the time they had to work. No one likes working extra. So if you can cut half hour off your time, why not? But everyone else... I'm just not necessarily a fan of this. Are there definitely some guys in the major leagues that take advantage of the fact that basically since its inception, baseball doesn't have a timer? Are there guys that have taken advantage of that? 100%. There are guys that get on the mound and you know the whole pace of the game is about to come to a screeching halt. There's no doubt about that. There are definitely guys who take way too long in between pitches, and they need to be sped up. 
There's also guys at the plate that want to take forever to step in the box and get ready to hit. There's no doubt. You know what? We saw one. I wouldn't say that he took forever, but he's going to have to change a little bit of what he does in Juan Soto here in D.C. for a while. His Soto shuffle and staring at the pitcher and adjusting the batting gloves and chatting with the catcher. He's going to have to be able to do all that with 7 to 12 seconds, depending upon if there's a guy on or not. So some things are going to change for these guys, and that's for certain. But I'm just not a fan of this. And I think of my first reaction is going to a ball game. In terms of watching it on TV, I don't know that it's going to affect me all that much. And if you're one that watches of, say, the 162, you watch, you know, 160 to 155 of them on TV, and you occasionally go to games, but for the most part you watch it on TV, I don't think it's going to be much of a difference. And you know what? It might actually be a convenience to you. It might actually be a good thing because a 7-10 first pitch isn't lingering until 10 10 30, 11, you're getting done 9:45 ish. So you know what? Maybe it is a good thing for people watching at home. But I think for me, and maybe I'm the weirdo in all this, when I go to games, I like to enjoy my time at the ballpark. Get there early, maybe uh, try to shag some BP balls, walk around the ballpark, see what kind of food is available. See what's uh, and obviously we've been to Nats Park, but you go somewhere else, you know. I had the opportunity to go to the Tiger Stadium this past year. Walk all the way around, see all the new amenities, see what's different from ballpark to ballpark. You know how it is with baseball. It's not really the case with football or basketball when it comes to stadiums that you're like, man, I got to hit all 32 football stadiums, or I got to hit all of the NBA arenas. Now, you want to hit all the Major League ballparks, though, because they're unique and they're fun, and there's something special about each and every one. And now you're taking a half hour away from my experience at the ballpark. And I just don't know that I like that. You're going to see an increase in action, like Kyle Glazer said. There's not going to be downtime. Like, the guys aren't going to be standing on the back of the mound. The the guy's not going to be standing on the rubber waiting for the guy at the plate to adjust his batting gloves and his elbow guard and his shin guard and all that stuff for minutes on end sometimes. There are definitely some guys that took advantage. But I think overall for me, when it comes to the pitch clock and some of these extra rules that go along with it, I get the idea behind it. I really do. I think that guys need to have an understanding. But as a golf fan myself, I almost think they could have tried something like golf does. And I know some people don't like the golf rule that follow golf. But let me explain what I think maybe they could have tried and we could have still preserve the idea that baseball is an untimed game. In golf, the way it is, is you tee off and there's a group ahead of you and you're supposed to keep pace with the group ahead of you. And if eventually you start falling off and you're getting slow, an official comes up to your group and says, hey, look, you're on the clock. And when you're on the clock, that means that you have a designated amount of time that you need to be hitting your shots, you need to be finishing holes. You and the whole group needs to work together to speed things up and get back to catching up with the guys in front of you so you're not holding up everyone behind you. That's the idea in golf. And then eventually, if you don't speed it up when you're on the clock, you get a penalty. I don't see why baseball couldn't have done something like this. And maybe your counter-argument to this would be that 
the guys that are already quick enough, this isn't really going to affect them at all. Maybe that's the case. But my contention is, why couldn't we try something like what I just laid out with golf? Where if a pitcher is taking forever, you know, I saw videos going around of Pedro Baez. And there was a video where between pitches from Pedro Baez, between stepping off, batter timeouts, Jose Altuve had run seven inside-the-park home runs in the time it took between pitches. And earlier today, we had a guy strike out a batter in 20 seconds. So it's going to change things significantly. But why couldn't we have something like the golf rule, where if the guys are taking a little bit too long, then you put the pitch clock on. Then you say, let's speed things up and let's get things going. But for the average player... It's nothing to worry about. You know, the guy that steps out real quick, checks down to the third base coach, sees what the sign is, readjusts his batting gloves real quick, steps in, he's ready to go. He doesn't have to worry about anything. The pitcher that's on the mound that gets the ball, rubs it up a little bit, steps back on the rubber, looks in, shakes off a sign or two, comes set, pitches the ball. He doesn't have anything to worry about. But now, the way it is, with 15 seconds, with 20 seconds... That can get pretty crazy. You know, I, I'm i not a professional baseball player by any means, and I never really played at much of a high level at all. But earlier, I went through and just did a mock pitch and get the ball back and get ready to go, and what would it be for me? And I timed myself out at about 12, 13 seconds each time. I think a couple things you could see with this. One, you could see catchers taking a little bit longer to deliver the ball back to the pitcher just to give him a brief second. And two, with no guys on, we've seen it with guys like Johnny Cueto already. We've seen it with guys like Nestor Cortez. I think you could see guys lifting that leg to start the windup and then just standing there for a second to give themselves a second to recompose themselves. Because as long as you start the windup, the clocks, you're good. So I think you could see some different ways that people are going to exploit this, but some people are going to be a fan of it. Some people aren't. I'm going to fall into the camp that's not a fan of it. I want to get some of your reaction next here. You want to give us a call, give us a call on the MGM National Harbor listener line at 800-636-1067, 800-636-1067. We'll get your reaction next here on Overtime on 106.7 The Fan. Welcome back into Overtime here on 106.7 The Fan. Toby Altizer taking you up till 10 o'clock. Talking about Major League Baseball and their new rules. Pitch clock, the shift ban, bigger bases. How do you feel about these new rules? Give us a call on the MGM National Harbor listener line, 800-636-1067. Again, that's 800-636-1067. Let's get out to Andy, who's in D.C., Andy, how do you feel about these new rules? Hey, thanks for taking my call. Hey, uh, I have issues with most of them, but let me just concentrate on one, and that's the pitch clock. I have two issues with the pitch clock. Number one, I think it's going to be detrimental to the health of the pitchers. You're going to force these pitchers to be throwing faster more often. That's just going to create more issues with their arms. And the other issue I have is, what is this going to do to the concession stands? If the games are mm-hmm. cut by a half hour, that means that's a half hour the less the concession stands have an opportunity to sell. And what will that do to the revenue? 
It is an interesting point. Appreciate the phone call, Andy. And people are talking about this already. Specifically, the beer sales. Look, I'm not one that drinks at ball games. I don't drink, period. So I wouldn't know. But you cut off beer sales going into, I believe, the seventh inning. Or after the seventh inning. One of the two. And so you're going to have to figure out now if it's a two and a half hour ball game as opposed to a three hour ball game. You're cutting that short by what, an extra 20 minutes or so? So you're going to have to make up some of that revenue. Are they going to increase prices? Are they going to open the gates a little sooner so people are checking out the concession stands a little bit earlier to make up for the time being a little bit shorter in game time? I don't know. That's stuff that you have to figure out. I am interested. And to his other points about pitchers getting injured, I think you're going to see maybe a little bit of that. But the more important thing in all of this, too, is managers are going to have to pay extra close attention to when their starter or when their reliever, whoever's in the ballgame, starts getting a little bit fatigued. Because before, if your pitcher was a little bit fatigued, they could take a walk around the mound, they could figure some things off, maybe step off a time or two, and you could get a guy going in the pen and make sure they were ready to go. That's not the case anymore if you're going to be sped up like this. If a starter starts getting fatigued, it's going to show itself real quick. And chances are they're going to give up a hit or two and you're going to have to figure some things out. So those are some things to keep an eye on. Now, they'll adjust to that. They'll adjust to that. The teams will figure out the revenue and figure out how they can make up for the half an hour of lost revenue in game time. They'll figure all that out, but it is going to be something to watch. Let's get in Captain Todd here listening out on the Odyssey app in Houston. Todd, what's going on, man? Hey, Toby. What's going on, buddy? Not much. How's it going, Todd? Good, man. Uh, glad to hear you. And uh, shout out to Caitlin. She's doing a great job, man. Always love her on overtime. <clears throat> hey, so which of these rules do you think, like, the average person, like the average fan is actually going to notice in-game? Well, oh, the pitch clock you're going to notice right away. That's, that, that's it. The other one's probably not at all. Yeah, yeah, we're not going to notice like three extra inches on a on a bag. Like we're just we're not going to see it. The shift, maybe like if you're really in tune and you're really kind of seeing the game, maybe. But yeah, it's, it's the pitch clock. And I want to sound like an old guy yelling at the clouds here. Um, but the thing I really liked about baseball was kind of that laid back, kind of slow process, right? Like hockey, basketball, and football are in your face. Lots of scoring, lots of mm-hmm. impact, lots of intense kind of things. Uh, I, I've been going, I'm 40 years old now. I, I've been going to baseball games since I was five. My mom is a gigantic baseball fan. She took me to Memorial Stadium before Canyon Yards, Canyon Yards, Fenway Park, um, all over the country. And like that that might be one thing that I'm going to notice now, and I don't really think I needed it. I agree. I, I, right? com- like I, I completely agree with you, Todd, because when I look at it, you brought up, Two different sports, and I'll bring up two other ones to go along with it. You got baseball and golf, to me, are both what I would consider passive watching sports where you can just sit there and if you want to be on your phone, like you feel like you can follow the game and you're not necessarily fully engaged. Whereas when you watch a football game or you're watching basketball, you kind of got to put the phone down, at least while the action's going on, or maybe you could check it quickly between plays and football. But for the most part, you're dialed in. With baseball, for me especially in college, it was nice that I would just throw a baseball game on and wouldn't necessarily be paying full attention to. And now you got to be ready to go. You know, I, a friend of mine went to spring training and he was watching one of the games and I asked him like, hey, what's the experience like? And he's like, I, 
I've got this habit of checking my phone in between pitches like, you know, we all do. You you go to a game and you're checking out different things in between pitches because you're used to, you got, a, you know, 20, 30, maybe 40 seconds in between pitches. You can figure some things out, maybe do a little business, text someone, whatever the case may be. They can't do that anymore. 15 seconds between pitches is quick. Like, this stuff goes quick. So I agree with Todd in that, like, I don't know that going to the ballpark, I was like, I need this stuff to be sped up. I need the action, 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 action. Like, I don't know that that's what I needed. I, I, I enjoyed the fact that I could go to a ball game and sit in my chair and lounge back. And if I wanted to check some things on Twitter or check my Facebook or check my email, I could do that in between pitches. No problem. You can't really do that as much anymore. And one last thing, because we're going to transition and talk a little bit about Sam Howell here in just a little bit. But one last thing. I think the issue that baseball has, and I've mentioned this with some guys that are big baseball fans. I've talked with it from guys around here as well. The issue with baseball was never the time of the game. The issue with baseball even wasn't necessarily the fact that the ball doesn't seem to get put in play as much anymore. The issue with baseball is that I don't know what Mike Trout's voice sounds like. I don't know a whole lot about the stars of the game. I could tell you what Steph Curry sounds like. I can tell you what Patrick Mahomes sounds like because the NFL and the NBA have done a phenomenal job of making it so that those guys are in your face all the time and you know so much about those guys. And when it comes to baseball, I don't know that that's the case. Does the average person in America know what Mike Trout even looks like? Maybe I'm wrong there, but I would go with a no. I I don't think the average person would know who Mike Trout or what Mike Trout looks like. They might know the name, but if you asked any person around America right now, what does Patrick Mahomes, like, well, you put a five pictures in front, which one's Patrick Mahomes? They're pointing at him right away. Which one of these guys is Steph Curry? Which one of these guys is LeBron? Pointing at it right away. They know who they are. Even if they're not sports fans, they know who it is. That's the issue with baseball. Not the time of the game. Not the lack of the action. The fact that your marketing is terrible. And the issue I have with the pitch clock and with these things is that you're trying to clearly work for an audience here. You're clearly trying to create a new audience. And I think we understand who it is. It's younger people that are going to drive the future of baseball, people that are into social media, people are want that quick gratification, right? They, they're they not going to sit there as long. All the things you hear different generations say about the younger generation, their attention spans gone, all these things. That's who they're trying to appeal to, clearly, right? Like I think that's obviously what we're going for here. The problem is, if you don't get more involved with the social media aspect, if you don't market better, if you don't do all these things, those guys aren't going to be fans anyways. It doesn't matter if the game's a half an hour shorter. Some kid that's 15 years old that isn't much of a fan and is on TikTok right now isn't going to become a fan of baseball because when they go to a Nats game, it ends half an hour shorter. That's not going to happen. That's not what it is, and I think that's where baseball's lacking. Real quick here, let's sneak in one more phone call. Let's get to Dave in Woodbridge. Dave, what's going on, man? What do you think about these new rules? Um, not a huge fan. 
I mean, I kind of understand if you go back 25 years, maybe a little longer, we didn't used to go, you know, the, the starting pitchers used to go deeper into games. You know, they, I think the goal used to be seventh inning, maybe even eighth inning. Mm-hmm. Now they're switching pitchers from the sixth inning on. That That's part of the time 100%. added into, you know, that, that's the factor. I, I, I don't know how you speed the game up without the clock. Um, <laughs> I, but I don't like it. I'm a, I was a baseball guy my whole life. My son's into it now. Um, it, it takes away, you know, to me, just the joy of the game and going relax and eating your Cracker Jacks. Um, I, I wish we had a different solution, but I don't have the answer, unfortunately. But thank you for your time. Appreciate it, Dave. Yeah, I think the thing with it is, like, baseball our whole lives has been the sport that we feel like we can just sit and relax and time passes and you don't have to be actively engaged in it as much. That's just how baseball has always been, right? There's not a clock that's speeding things along. It's an untimed sport, and there is some uncertainty with it because of that. Now, when you look at it from the MLB's perspective, obviously it's nice to know this is how long our games are going to take. And with this, this is what we can expect. A two-and-a-half-hour, two-hour, 45-minute game Works better for television schedules. Works better for radio schedules. You can figure all that stuff out. That's great. I just, I'm not a fan of it. I'm not. I want to get to some Sam Howell talk, though. Ron Rivera had some interesting comments talking about Sam Howell, clarifying some things about maybe what they saw in him going into the draft last year. We'll play that comment for you and talk more Sam Howell here on Overtime on 106.7 The Fan. Earlier today, Ron Rivera was talking with the media at the Combine, and he had something interesting that he really hadn't delved into yet with Sam Howell. We've heard him say, oh, he's not the starter, but he is QB1, which no one understands what that means because QB1 usually means starter. That's kind of what QB1 means, but whatever. He had something new to say today about Sam Howell. Here's what he had to say. Do you think um, it's a chance that um, your rookie quarterback from last year is your starting quarterback for 2023? Well, we're going to give him every opportunity. We most certainly are. You know, I've told everybody he'll he'll get a start as as QB1 for right now. And if he earns it and continues to earn it, you know, we're going to try and bring as much competition as we can, the right kind of competition to push him. And and if he earns it, he'll get a chance. Coach, I was just looking through my notes from last year, and he was my 48th player in that draft last year. And somehow he gets all the way to you guys in the fifth round. When you're in the draft room, at what point in time like, oh, this has got to stop. This guy, this is time to do this. We kept expecting it to happen somewhere around the second, third round, to be honest with you. And when, when we when we addressed our needs in our first four picks, and we're sitting there going, he's sitting there looking at us, staring at us with the first pick in the fifth round. So we pulled the trigger, and we said, this is going to be our guy, and you know, hopefully he'll develop and, and be able to help us. And, and we really think that's the track he is on right now, is that he's developing, growing, and has a chance to help us. That's kind of new stuff. The first stuff that he had said, we have heard plenty of times throughout this offseason already. The new stuff was that they had him as a second, third round type of guy. And so we're used to around this time looking at draft profiles and they're kind of getting filled out with the combine going on right now in Indianapolis. So I went back and looked at what NFL.com had for Sam Howell for last year going into the draft. They had him as a prospect grade of a 6.22, which is eventually going to be an average NFL starter. 
when I looked at some of the other stuff coming out with Sam Howell, I looked at some overviews. Lance Zerline, a really good talent evaluator for NFL.com and NFL Network, he had him as a round two type projection. I thought it was interesting, though, when you go back and look at this draft profile. I look at these strengths. You know, you kind of list the strengths and weaknesses, the pros and cons of these guys going into it. Tell me if these first three strengths don't sound a little like someone, and then a couple of the weaknesses sound a little like someone. I'll let you figure that out here in a second. Here's some of the strengths. Number one, gamer tendencies since freshman season. Number two, confident demeanor, leaks over to teammates. Three, has some Sandlot talent when pressed. Does that not sound like a quarterback that has played for the Burgundy and Gold over the last couple of years? Does that not sound like Taylor Heineke a little bit? Weaknesses. Ball pat and wind up slow the release. Touch and timing both need work. Does that not sound a little like Another quarterback that suited up for the Burgundy and Gold last season that the Commanders may or may not have traded a couple picks for, Carson Wentz. So what's my whole point on this? We look at Sam Howell and think, okay, it's a fifth rounder, there's no way. And I I think Grant laid it out well at the end of Grant and Danny a little bit earlier today. So many fans look at Sam Howell and think he's a fifth-rounder. There's no way he's going to be successful as an NFL QB. He can't be our guy. He's a fifth-rounder. And you put so much on he's a fifth-rounder. But in reality, what happened last season was the quarterback class was not up to snuff with what we've seen basically over the last couple of years, and really it wasn't a very good class at all. You have guys like Kenny Pickett. He goes in the first round. Bailey Zappi goes in the fourth, I believe. Desmond Ritter in the third. Uh, Malik Willis. None of those guys are wowing you. I think Kenny Pickett's going to turn out to be a solid NFL QB, so I think he'll be about league average. But the rest of the guys, outside of Sam Howell, I don't know that I really see them being anything more than maybe journeyman QBs or backup quarterbacks throughout the league. But when you look at Sam Howell, people forget where this guy was supposed to be going into his junior year at Carolina. This guy was possibly going in the first round, possibly the top quarterback in the draft. And if you're the top quarterback in the draft, that means that you're probably going to be up there in the top five. And then his junior year, he didn't necessarily play as well. And I don't know how much of that is to do with him, the scheme, the talent around him for sure dipped off. When you have four guys go in the NFL draft from Carolina, all weapons, from Sam Howell, and they're all gone, you're not left with a whole lot. This isn't Alabama where you lose a five-star and plug in a five-star, or you lose a generational talent, so to speak, and you plug in another generational talent. It happens all the time at Bama. Look at Jerry Judy was this incredible route runner that no one can find a better receiver in the draft than Jerry Judy. This guy is one of the best route runners to come out in a decade, or whatever the case may be. And then Devontae Smith follows in his footsteps and wins the Heisman. This isn't the case at Carolina. That's not what happened. So he comes out his junior year. The Tar Heels were ranked in the top 10 to start the season. And I can give you one reason why they were ranked that high. Sam Howell. That's it. That's it. It's not like there was loads of other talent, and they struggled that season, there's no doubt. But preseason, they were a top 10 ranked team because of Sam Howell. 
And the reason they're ranked that high is because they thought Sam Howell was one of the best quarterbacks in the nation, and yet somehow he slipped to the fifth round. And I think what happened in the NFL draft last year, for whatever reason, yes, he struggled his junior year. There's no doubt about it. I'm not going to try and say that he was flawless his junior season before he came out. But what happened was, Kenny Pickett was a first-round grade, and so the Steelers took him, and then everyone else said, you know what, we're not touching quarterback unless we find a guy that we kind of like the traits. They didn't touch another one until, I think, the third round with Ritter and Willis and those guys, and those are dart throws. Willis, all the tools it could be. He was last year's Anthony Richardson. You have no idea what the guy could be. So someone took a shot on him. Titans took a shot on him, and we'll see what happens there. Desmond Ritter, another guy, is kind of a dart throw. Came from a really good program in Cincinnati. Had one of the best years that they'd ever had as a program. Take a shot with them. See what happens. For whatever reason, the NFL as a whole, including the Commanders, decided, you know what we're going to do? We're going to let this Sam Howell guy go until we just have to take him, right? Fifth round rolls around. Ron said, all right, we took care of the needs. And you see that with Dotson. You see that with Mathis. You see that with Brian Robinson. They took care of some of the needs that they felt. And they decided, you know what? Sam Howell's still there. We got to take him. We have to. And so when you look at it on the surface, you say, all right, Sam Howell's a fifth-round guy. Fifth-round quarterbacks generally aren't going to be successful. And if they're going to be a starting quarterback, starting them in year two, without a clear backup plan at the moment, that's not a good idea. But that's a different scenario than the reality. On paper, it doesn't make sense. In reality, you have a guy that has all the tools to be one of the better quarterbacks in this league. I don't know what his ceiling is. I really am a big Sam Howell fan. I don't know what his ceiling is. And you've got so many good quarterbacks, young quarterbacks in the league now, most of them in the AFC. You've got Burrow, Mahomes, Herbert, Allen, all those guys in the AFC. You've got Jalen Hurts in the NFC East. I don't know what his ceiling is. I don't know if he's going to be one of those guys. But I think he's going to be an above-average NFL quarterback. He's got the arm. He's got mobility. And I think those things are important. And don't forget, it seems like forever ago that this happened, by the way. But don't forget that the offensive coordinator for this team is now Eric Bieniemy, And I think it was important to him that he had a quarterback that had a little bit of mobility, that had a strong arm, because he's coming from Kansas City where Patrick Mahomes had all the tools you could ever want. So Sam Howell living up to that is just not going to happen. But he's not really limited in anything that he can do. It's all going to come down to his decision-making, his processing, the accuracy, those things, the things that just need refined, the little finesse things about playing quarterback, and then he can be the, he can be good. He's like, if we're going to go back to what we talked about at the beginning, baseball, he's a five-tool guy. He's got everything you need in terms of being a quarterback. Maybe you would knock him a little bit because he's not super tall, but he's got the rocket arm. He's got the ability to have some accuracy. He's got... The mobility, you saw that as junior year. So I think all the tools are there. And I think overall, he's the best option for the commanders going forward. I think Sam Howell goes out next year and plays well. I don't know, maybe I'm being Ashburned. 
But I really do believe that Sam Howell can be, I don't know if he's the long-term answer, but he can be at least a short-term, maybe two- to three-year answer while we figure out this ownership situation and we can have some excitement from the quarterback position. I think going young with Sam Howell is the right move. And again, hearing from Ron Rivera, yeah, he's a fifth-round quarterback. No, he's a second- or third-round guy that ended up in the fifth round and they got a steal in the fifth round. Take that fifth-round moniker off of Sam Howell and look at him more of what he really is, and he's a really talented young quarterback that should have gone much earlier than that fifth round, more likely a second- or third-round guy like they had him graded. What are your thoughts on it? You want to give us a call on the MGM National Harbor listener line at 800-636-1067. Again, 800-636-1067. The phone lines are open. Want to get your opinions. Reminder, Leroy Butler, Pro Football Hall of Famer, joins us at 8 o'clock. More to come on Overtime at 106.7 The Fan. We kept expecting it to happen somewhere around the second, third round, to be honest with you. And when, when we when we addressed our needs in our first four picks, and we're sitting there going, he's sitting there looking at us, staring at us with the first pick in the fifth round. So we pulled the trigger and we said, this is going to be our guy. And, you know, hopefully he'll develop and, and be able to help us. And, and we really think that's the track he is on right now is that he's developing, growing, and he has a chance to help us. There's Ron Rivera talking earlier today at the NFL Combine on NFL Network. It's overtime here on 106.7 The Fan. Toby Altizer taking you all the way up until 10 o'clock. 8 o'clock, Leroy Butler joins the show. Talk a little bit about the NFL Draft, the NFL Combine. But back to Sam Howell. You know what that means if they had a second or third round grade on him? It means that they saw potential for Sam Howell to be something. Because you don't draft a quarterback in the second or third round if you don't think he has the potential to maybe down the road be your starter. But also in that, they understood that he needed a little bit of time in the NFL to get accustomed to it. That's why he wasn't taken in the first round. We understand that he struggled that junior year and he needed a little bit of time. And I think you've seen that, obviously in one game, you can't get a full gauge on everything and Dallas didn't have a whole lot to play for. But Sam looked competent. I think that's the main thing that I take away from that Dallas game. Obviously, he had some good plays and, you know, a couple bad ones here or there. You can't make a whole lot of a guy that didn't even throw the ball 20 times in a game. Like, you can't make a full guarantee that this next season he's going to come out and be a really good quarterback for you when he's only thrown 19 passes in the NFL. But when you take what you've seen of Sam Howell in the football fields in the burgundy and gold. Going back to the preseason, he looks like a competent NFL quarterback. And to be honest with you, when you look at what Washington has had at the quarterback position over the last couple of seasons, you might be worried about the low of lows possibly happening with Sam Howell, and there is definitely that possibility since he is a second-year guy. And since there were some struggles that junior year that forced him to fall in the draft. But at the same time, are we not thinking that there's a chance that he could give you higher quarterback play than Taylor Heineke or Carson Wentz or any of the guys that have played quarterback for you over the last couple of seasons? Like, do we not think that there's a chance that Sam Howell can give you, I don't know, top 20 quarterback play? 19th best quarterback in the league type of play. And if he can, 
wouldn't this make the Commanders a, a playoff team? Because last season, up until the Giants games, this team was in the driver's seat to go into the postseason last year with Taylor Heineke at quarterback. And look, I'm a big Taylor Heineke fan, and I'd like to see him back in the burgundy and gold possibly as a backup. But it's not like Taylor's giving you even league average play. You could argue he's not even giving you just below average NFL quarterback play. He was giving you pretty poor NFL quarterback play. To think that Sam Howell can't at least give you that. Because it's not like Taylor didn't turn the ball over. It's not like Carson didn't turn the ball over. It's one thing if you get pretty poor quarterback play, but at least they you know, can hold on to the ball. Think about the Alex Smith years, or that year that they were headed to the playoffs with Alex Smith. It wasn't very impressive, and you wanted the shot for a quarterback, but you were winning football games, and you wasn't really turning the ball over, so you're like, all right, well, you know, eh. you weigh the pros and the cons, and you know what, if you're finding ways to win and it's serviceable, you don't touch it. It's not like the reason that Washington was in the driver's seat going into late in that season before the Giants games. It's not like the reason that they were there was because Taylor Heineke was at the helm and he was driving this team to a playoff spot. That's not the case. So at worst, I feel like Sam Howell can give you that. And then the possibility of him being better than that, like the guy that was supposedly a second to third round pick going into last year's draft, a guy that was supposedly going to be a first rounder the year before that, before he struggled his junior year at Carolina, why can't he give you a little bit higher quarterback play than that? And we're talking about a team that's at least contending in the NFC. And if there's a side to be on right now in the NFL, if there's a conference you want to be in, it's the NFC. Look at the AFC. I named some of the young quarterbacks over there. Who knows what happens with Lamar, but oh, right now Lamar's over there. Joe Burrow, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Justin Herbert, Trevor Lawrence. All those guys in the AFC. Who's in the NFC? NFC South, none of the teams have a quarterback settled right now. Really? The Buccaneers are going with Kyle Trask? I don't know about that. Like Daniel Jones, who knows? I, I would think that they get things figured out there, but I'm not 100% certain. With him, with the Giants. Jalen Hurts is good. Uh, Matt Stafford, maybe, when he comes back. Is Aaron Rodgers, if he comes back? I don't know. I mean, there's a lot. There's an open door in the NFC, for sure. And if you can get average to above average quarterback play from Sam Howell, we could be talking about this team as a playoff team. And it would be nice to be talking about the playoffs and not get let down again like we were this past season. All right, we'll take a break from the Sam Howell discussion. Do want to get back into some Commanders talk again after we finish talking with Leroy Butler coming up next segment. Want to get into that NFLPA report card. But coming up next, Pro Football Hall of Fame safety, the inventor of the Lambeau Leap, Leroy Butler, joins us here on 106.7 The Fan. It's overtime. Keep it tuned right here.